This morning we're thinking about our identity, about who we are and our actions. And many of us will know that it's easier to learn something than to actually use what we've learned. Uh, We're experts at learning. In fact, this is what we're enculturated into from the very first moments of life. We're taught ideas and concepts. We spend a great deal of time at school and in other forms of education. And so in many ways, we're actually quite good at thinking. We're quite good at getting ideas and considering them. But the reality of the Christian life is one of not mere consideration of ideas. It's not even the agreement of ideas. Agreeing with Christian ideas and goals does not make one Christian. It makes one only an admirer of Christianity. The Lord Jesus, when he called his disciples, he called them disciples, not mere admirers. He called them as ones who would think, as we saw last week, but they would also act. They would not just think about his life, they would act like him. They are to, in Jesus' mind, take up their cross. They're not just to think about taking up their cross, but those who would follow after Jesus are to, in fact, take up their cross. They're to act. They're to do. And in many ways, who we are as people are in fact, is in fact defined by our actions. And when I say actions, I'm not thinking merely of just physical acts. I mean actions as their entirety. Uh, Actions like thinking, uh, sorry, actions like learning and studying are in fact one type of act. But the Christian life is more than just thinking. The Christian life is about a commitment to action a commitment to what we do with our lives, a commitment to the implementation of the knowledge that we have. Because we as human beings are very good at separating, separating who we are and what we do. Um, And we quite like to do this often. We, if we tell a lie, we don't often like to think of ourselves as liars. We often try and think of ourselves as a person who happened to lie, but to think of ourselves as a liar, that's not something that we're comfortable with. Why? Because we want to separate what we do and who we are. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible actually uh, integrates both those realities, who we are, with what we do. Because life isn't merely about thinking. In fact, thinking can be a defence against doing. And indeed, we see in the scriptures that life is about being and doing, and judgment in the scriptures is always according to what we do. Christianity, as we saw last week, has a huge focus on the mind, on learning, and of our minds being renewed. But Christianity is not merely 
or only about thinking. It's about acting. It's about acting on our deepest and most treasured thoughts about who God is, who we are, and how he wants us to live. Now, that's not to say that we're saved by our actions, and uh, Christians have thought about this reality in a way in which it has been unhelpful often. Uh, There's been such an emphasis on what we do that people have thought that we are saved by our actions. Paul emphasised in our second reading, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why are you boasting as if you did not? See, all we have and all we do is a gift. We, are, we don't gain merit by what we do, but we stand in response to what we know about God, what he has done in our lives. We stand to respond to that reality in our actions. And in fact, we can't understand what God is saying. In fact, we can't think properly even without our actions. Um, there's this concept known as the hermeneutics of obedience. And what that concept basically is, is, is it, the concept basically is that we cannot understand scripture without our willingness to obey it. There's a process that God takes us on that in order to understand what he's saying in his, in his word, we have to be living that reality And we can't understand it without living it. And in fact, in the Bible, the Hebrew word for hearing uh, is often translated as obeying. God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, now if you obey me fully, the word there is actually if you hear me fully, but it's translated as obey because Obedience and hearing, thinking and doing in the Bible are so closely related to one another. And we see that very clearly in Jesus' parable. A uh, parable of, uh, that we see there in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now this parable is an interesting parable because Jesus is interacting in Luke chapter 10 with this lawyer, this expert of the law, uh, this expert of the law in terms of probably religious and biblical law rather than just civil law, and he comes to ask Jesus a question. He comes to trap Jesus. Now, why would he want to do that? Why would this expert of the law want to trap Jesus? Well, We've seen, you see throughout the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is, well, Jesus is spending time with people who, in their actions, act outside of the law. He spends his time often with sinners, people who, in very clear ways, have disobeyed the law. And so this lawyer has some suspicion. And he wants to expose Jesus as someone who is too permissive, too accepting. 
And so he asked Jesus this question that starts uh, the parable. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer is asking Jesus, what must he do to be accepted or saved by God? And perhaps his attitude, or perhaps what he expects Jesus' attitude to be, is one that says something like, oh, it doesn't really matter how you live. God accepts everyone. But Jesus is on to this lawyer. He knows what's going on for him. And so Jesus asks this religious expert there in verse 27. He asks him a question. What, what does the law say? What, what do the scriptures say? And the man responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. The lawyer responds, and he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. And the concept here is that we are, or those that would read and those that would hear God's word, are to love God with all that we have, with all of ourselves, with our whole selves. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, loving your neighbour comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Here the scriptures have a dual aspect one of both loving God and loving neighbour. And these two commands are connected. There's a direction toward God and there's a direction toward others. And this is Jesus' response to the trap. Because this lawyer wants to know what the minimum requirement is. He wants to be able to think. He wants to be able to perhaps avoid sin. But he does not want to act. He does not want to be moved to others. He does not want to be taken out of the comfort of his world, of his thoughts, of his own obedience. But Jesus won't leave him there. Because Jesus responds with this parable. This parable which directs its focus toward the action of love. Who is my neighbour? Is the lawyer's question. And Jesus starts to tell him this parable. This parable of a man who acts. A man who takes the opportunities that are before him. A man who is actually so different from this lawyer. In the parable that Jesus tells, we meet this hero, if you like, this Samaritan. This Samaritan who moves towards the one who is in need at great cost, at incredible sacrifice, with his own danger 
in a dangerous manner. And this hero in Jesus' story meets the needs, the physical needs, the financial needs, the medical needs, even the transportation needs of this one who was suffering. Jesus says, or Jesus reminds us here, that love is an action. The lawyer thought well, but the lawyer was uncomfortable, most uncomfortable, about the reality of acting upon what he knew. And so in the story that Jesus tells in verse 31, there are two, two who would walk past the man who is on the side of the road, a priest there in verse 31. And in verse 32, a Levite. And the way that Jesus conceives of this story is interesting because here's what's important for us to realise is it's not the Samaritan that is on the side of the road in Jesus' story. The Samaritan was someone who would have been seen as a blasphemer to this religious lawyer. He would have been seen as a half-caste, one who had so abused their understanding of God such that it was offensive that they even existed to the lawyer. And here is this Samaritan man. And this Samaritan man is not Uh, This Samaritan man is not the one who's on the side of the road. Because if it was the Samaritan man to be on the side of the road, no doubt the lawyer would have dismissed Jesus' story as just ridiculous, as too hard to believe. Why would this lawyer help a Samaritan? But it's not. It's one of God's people. It was one of the lawyer's own people who's on the side of the road in this story. And he's not helped. He's not helped by the priest. And he's not helped by the Levite. Two people quite similar in position to the lawyer. He's helped by the Samaritan. And I think what Jesus is doing as he tells this story is he's challenging this lawyer. He's challenging him in asking the question, what if you were on the ground? What if your only chance to be helped was by a Samaritan? Jesus here is starting to try and reshape this man's thinking, this lawyer who has dismissed helping the Samaritan. He's dismissed it. He's able to know what God wants. He's able to speak of God's law. He's able to know much of the intricacies of God's law. But here is a man who's being challenged to act. He's being challenged to act in a way that's compassionate. 
in a way that is compassionate for others. Because if the Samaritan could act in this way to him, then their challenge is that he could act in this way to the Samaritan. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's turning it around. He's turning this whole discussion around. He's turning it back onto this lawyer, this man who is comfortable with his ideas, and he's helping him to see the opportunities beyond him, to see the opportunities of love in action. And this is a great challenge for us. It's a great challenge for us. Because we are people who often are comfortable with ideas. We're comfortable thinking about things. We're comfortable thinking about Christian ideas, about Christian truths. But we're often less comfortable with moving towards act, action, and particularly acts of love. See, what defines us as Christian people is our love for God and our love for neighbour. And our love for neighbour in Jesus' parable here is a love of action. It's a love of sacrifice. It's a love of movement towards the other. And this is a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us as we think about who we are as Christian people. Often we think about who we are as Christian people simply by what we believe. Now what we believe is incredibly important. As we saw last week, we are to be renewed by the renewing of our minds. But Romans chapter 12 also reminds us that we're to be renewed by our minds. Why? So that we might live our lives as a living sacrifice. There's a reality of action. There's a reality of us using our lives for the sake of others. Now, in many ways, there are so many opportunities that we have to love others. And particularly in our world today, there are so many things that we could be doing, so many projects, so many good causes. But here, the parable reminds us, as Jesus tells it, and as we hear the command to love our neighbour, we're asked here to love our neighbour. We're not asked here to love the whole world. Uh, many of us, I, I think, from time to time, get so caught up in the possibilities of loving that we fail to move towards love because it's hard to decide just what to do or we're so overwhelmed by the number of things to do. But he reminded that we're to love in proximate ways, love first in a way that's closest to us. Here, Jesus tells a story not just of love for family but of love for neighbour. It's someone who is different, but it's someone who is close. And so we as Christian people have tremendous opportunity. We have tremendous opportunity to love those who are not just out there in the world, but love those who are close, 
not just our family, but those who are, we are in relationship with, our neighbour, those who are different from us but are close to us, our neighbour, those who are difficult to love but close to us, our neighbour. See, so often we're trapped by the possibility, by the number of things that we could be doing. But Jesus isn't giving us millions of things to do. He's giving us one thing to do, one thing to do in a contained way. We need to be concerned for the world. We should pray for our world. But loving the whole world, that's God's responsibility. We're to love our neighbours. We're to love those who are different from us but close to us. And from that, we're to, by extension, love others who are further from us. What's important for us to remember as we think about who we are is that we are defined by our loving actions. Our world is often trying to define us by all kinds of actions. But we as Christian people are defined by our loving actions. And I want to close with a reminder here. In verses 34 and verse 37, the word is uh, pity is used. And this is an important word. Because that Samaritan person had pity, had pity on the man on the road. But the word pity is also the word compassion. And that word compassion in the New Testament is most often given to Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows compassion. And so we have a great reminder here. We have a great reminder that it's the Lord Jesus who has loved us. He's the one who's shown us compassion. And we too are to act, but we're to act because we're driven by his love for us. We're to act in a way in which we display the love of the Lord Jesus. Jesus has seen us. Jesus has come to us. Jesus has acted in our lives. And when we're reminded of that love, we're motivated properly to love others. We're motivated to action, not just any action, not just doing everything, but loving action. Loving action motivated by the Lord Jesus. This is what defines us. This is who we are. Amen.